0: And now it's time for We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're certainly thankful for you tuning in today. We're glad to be here with you, live on We Are Just Christians, I'll give you the numbers to call in in just a moment in case you don't realize that this is a live call-in show. So we'll be happy and really uh, look forward to taking your calls, comments, and questions today on whatever spiritual subject is on your mind. As we mentioned from time to time, here on We Are Just Christians, you don't have to be a Christian to call in. You don't have to be a believer. We'd love to hear from unbelievers or people who uh, uh, have had bad experiences with the Christians or the, or churches. And we'd love to hear from you. We're not going to treat you poorly. <clears throat> we're going to give you the last word of whatever conversation we have. So when you call in, uh, you can ask your question, make your comment or whatever. We'll have a conversation if you'd like, and then we'll give you the last word. You can reach us here. Uh, at our We're at our building. Ray there at the station will hook you up with us here through Skype. But we are uh, available at 772 772- 340-1590-772 340-1590 is the number and you can call us anytime you can also reach us during the during the show and during the week at text numbers Gary Jones and I my name is Mike Schmidt by the way and Gary Jones and I can be reached by text message uh, during the show at two different numbers mine is 772 772- two six zero six one two zero seven seven two two six zero six one two zero and gary's is very similar seven seven two two six zero six two two zero is his number like i say you can call text us during the show uh we'll do our best to, to respond to that text uh during the show on the air uh, live and if not we'll correspond during the week or you can you can send us your text early or t- c- correspond about any other subject with us during the week at those two numbers. So this uh, there's also an email address I usually don't I forget to give this a lot of the times. you can reach us. very simple in case you're driving or something. try to remember this just Christians at ATt.net that's the email just Christians at ATt.net love to hear from you. So uh, like I say it's a live call call-in show but before we go to the phones, uh, uh, who I think we have a caller, but let's hang on for a minute. Uh, Gary
1: Jones yeah, wants yeah, last, to go over something. Yeah, Mike. Yes. Last week I asked a question and I didn't give the answer. You know, really wanted to spur some thought. And I said, if God has not forgiven your sins, will you be allowed into heaven, or into His kingdom? And uh, of course, that's kind of a rhetorical question, I think, in in many ways. Of course you by won't. rhetorical you mean you think the answer is obvious
0: or the answer right
1: the answer is obvious uh no if your sins are not forgiven you're you're not allowed into heaven and since Paul made the case for all of us being under sin and no one has uh, lived a perfect life then uh, that question is you know obvious it's answer so I'd like to leave you with another question now. Uh, the follow-up question to that: So, when in the life of a sinner does God forgive sins? What does the Scripture say? And I'm looking for a scriptural answer. At what point are sins forgiven? At what point are our sins forgiven in the Scriptures for for the sinner who's coming to Christ? And I'll give you a hint: It's not after you've prayed the uh, sinner's prayer. So, uh, so I'll, I'll leave well, you. With at least that. we don't
0: have any scriptural evidence that that is the case for sure. sure.
1: Right. Exactly. So I'm I'm asking for a scriptural answer. Okay. So think about At that. At what point
0: are per a person's sins forgiven? Forgiven. All right. Very good. We'll come. Maybe we'll come back to that a little bit later okay. in the show. Okay. If I have, I'm sure you have more to say about that. So. Oh, we'll
1: I, I've got that. a lot to say about we'll it, but I was, I was that hoping we would bit. get some questions about. All right. It. All right. Very good. All right. Think about
0: that, and we'll come back <laughs> to it. Uh, I think we have a caller. As I mentioned, Jerry, are you there?
1: Uh, good morning, Mike. Uh, good morning, Gary. Thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, very interesting, uh, uh, concept, uh, about atonement, but I was wondering about, uh, uh just very briefly, uh, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson's, uh, treasure island, uh, the character Israel hands and was that name Israel as well. First name was that common back in England at that time. And, uh, because it seems to me it would take a lot of courage to to have a first name like that, Israel. And I wondered about the uh, uh, about the spelling of it, and uh, just a uh, a very quick question. Uh, thank you for taking my call,
0: Mike. Okay, thank you, Jerry, for calling in. I Appreciate it. You know um, that that name, Israel, of course, is one of the most prominent names in all of the Bible. Now, I can't tell you how common it would have been in in England in any particular time period, or whether one way or the other names go in and out of style. I, I would guess that it, in the past it would be something, be more of a name that Jewish people would give their children. Could be wrong about that, but um, they... Uh, it would be a name that Jewish people in England would give their children rather than Gentiles. But today, I th- think I hear this name more, if if I'm going to take a guess, uh, among Hispanic uh, c- people, they tend to name their kids Israel more so than English-speaking people or English people, Anglos as they call them down south of here, um, tend to be. That tends to be that way. I'm not sure why that is one way or the other. But in the Bible, this name Israel is uh, is obviously a very important name. In Genesis 32 is the, really the first mention of this name in the Bible that we have. Uh, it means uh, striving with God, one who strives with God um, or and so forth some people say it means god prevails or in this in this strife or striving with god but this is the name that god gave to jacob uh, Isaac's son after he wrestled with him in the night by the river jabbok on his way back from uh, what would be called syria to, down to palestine back home it's a longer story it's a significant story in the book of genesis but he wrestles with so he called him an angel or with god himself during the night and um actually he prevailed as it were so he changed the he god changed his name it says um let, let me let me go over there hang on a minute i've got it right in front of me i don't know why it's going on i thought i had the verse right in front of me God said to him, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, what is it that you ask about my name? Why is it you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Now, this name Israel, whenever you see in the Bible a word that has the EL as a prefix or EL as a suffix, either at the beginning or end of the word, sometimes in the middle, this phrase EL is the word for God in Aramaic and Hebrew. And so uh, it's not the word for Jehovah, particularly, but it's the word for more of a generic word, God. Jehovah is a name god is a description more or less although that is a kind of a name so jehovah is god yael so joel or uh, forms of that would mean jehovah is god yael or various different forms so you have the j e Yah, in in english and and you have the el or jo various forms of that and the el always means god so in this case strive with God or uh, is Israel. Now I'm thinking about this. That seems like an odd name, but when you look at the man J- Jacob, he was the kind of fellow who uh, well let's start back a little. Let's go back a little further. Every char- every human characteristic has a good side and a bad side. I'm using the words good and bad there in a generic sense, has what might be considered either moral or immoral side, a positive side or a negative side, however you want to look at it. Uh, Someone who is very detail-oriented can also be obsessive, you see. So it goes whichever way it is. Someone who is conscientious can also be over-conscientious and become a person who is... uh, makes laws where God didn't make any laws. So every characteristic has its own uh, good and bad parts. A, a young man who is very bold and brave can also be reckless and get himself killed because he's foolish. You see, So you've got to look at that. So Jacob, uh, as a young man, always had this characteristic of trying to get the best of people when he was born. Go back to the story of his birth. There were two twins in the womb. The mother was concerned she went to God because she was having so much trouble with these two children. God said, well, you're two. there's two nations inside you, and they're struggling with each other. They're wrestling. They're fighting inside you, as it were. That's why you're having so much pain. You know, one of our children, one of our sons, Adam, apparently bruised my wife's ribs while she carried him. doctor said, the reason you're so sore is that this child has bruised your ribs by kicking. So, we should have known
2: <laughs>
0: he gave us warning, but anyway, he's a good good kid, but anyway uh very act always active and you know struggling, and that's that's kind of the way it is. Well, Jacob was the same kind of fellow, so when they were born, Esau was born first, but Jacob had a hold of his heel coming out of the mm-hmm. womb, and was the nurse said. She put a red band on a red string on uh, Esau's wrist because he he was born first. They wanted to mark the firstborn child. You know. Well, as it turns out, Jacob uh, had a hold of his heel, and they named him Jacob because it means uh, usurper, one who's trying to take the place of another. So his original name is Jacob, supplanter, uh, uh, one who uh, kind of, and he became a kind of a trickster. He played tricks on his brother, as it were trying to deceive his brother Esau, who was an easy mark, to get his birthright, and, uh, and then eventually the disguise he put on to fool his blind father Isaac uh, to get the blessing that was supposed to go to his brother. And so he's the supplanter, the devious one, the one who was doing anything to get ahead, anything to win. That was Jacob, anything to win. Now, later in life, he has all these struggles. God changes his name and says, your name is Israel. You've striven with God and you prevailed. In other words, I'm going to bless you. And because, see, that struggling and trying to get ahead, doing anything to win, has a good side. And that is he wouldn't let go of God. And he wouldn't. he, He held on to God and said, I won't let you go until you bless me. Boy, most of us need that attitude, don't we? Yeah, and and, I won't let you go until you bless me.
1: Jacob wasn't the only one. Job was the same thing. Through all of his, he wouldn't let go of God. He would not basically turn away from God through all of that, which is which is another characteristic that I think we need too. So you have these. uh, You have to
0: understand (laughs) that this this young man Jacob changed, and he brought a lot of hardship on himself. But God respected him because he was persistent in trying to do the right thing in his own mind. Now, that had to be altered. God altered that from just pure selfishness to a a good kind of persistence and so forth. So this is his name. That's where the name Israel comes from. Now, then, Israel, uh, you have Abraham was told, through your seed, I'll bless all nations. That promise was repeated to Isaac, Abraham's son, uh, well, his chosen son, in that sense, firstborn or chosen son, Isaac. And so um, Isaac received that blessing. Then Isaac wanted to pass that blessing on to Esau, but that got altered, I think, by God's will to bless this man, Jacob, because Jacob was persistent. Esau served his own passions. The Bible called him a profane man. He was going to do what pleased him, what made him happy. Kind of like m- most people today are doing, they've been told to do what makes you happy. Well, that's the Esau brain. That's the profane man that does whatever he wants to do. Jacob was going to do what God wanted him to do and, and tried to do that, and God blessed him and made him the heir over his over his brother who was born first he became the firstborn by choice and then god changed his name to israel and from him come the 12 sons of israel that become the 12 tribes of israel and the nation of israel so israel this man jacob's descendants this persistent one Uh, He had 12 sons who who fathered all these other children. They become a nation. They come up out of Egypt, Egypt, led by Moses, take the land under Joshua, become a nation. And from there, through Judah, one of Jacob's sons, one of Israel's sons, Jesus is born eventually, historically. And he becomes the Savior, not just the Jews. But the Savior of all men, like God promised Abraham, through your seed I will bless all nations. That seed is Christ, Paul says in Galatians uh, chapter three. That seed is Christ who blesses all nations. So that's the derivation of the name Israel. I can't speak to how common it was in um, in in uh, England, and we could probably look that up if I took the time to look it up. But I I I would say it probably isn't a s- extremely Common name So Gary let me, let me I just have to think of this So if I say a phrase to you Now you're an engineering Student let's see if you can I'll give you a quiz There's a phrase a first Sentence of a famous book Call me Ishmael is the name of the Is the sentence What what is that the first Line of what famous book Call uh, me no, Ishmael. You've,
1: you've asked the wrong person Oh I know I did that's why I asked yeah, yeah, I thought no. for sure you knew that I've,
0: It's Moby Dick well, I was that's gonna, that's the that's the first line Ishmael. I just happened to think of it because it's a Bible name that probably isn't very common. We'll I think that's why he used that, because it was an unusual name. He didn't say, call me, you know, call me
1: Harry. He he used a Right. Well, a, I was thinking more, I was thinking more in terms of the captain because the biblical name. Ahab. Yeah. Yeah. Your, yeah. Biblical <laughs> names in the eight in the eighteen hundreds of the 19th century, I think were quite pro- popular. I don't know whether one was more popular than the other, but Ahab was certainly unpopular as a biblical name to be used. And, yes. and so you see his, his name used in, in Moby Dick, and, uh, which, is a, which is an interesting, interesting question. By the way, that Israel hands, actually there was a real, ne- real man by that name, not just in Treasure Island. He was the second in command to Edward Teach was also known as blackbeard oh yeah
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe, there, maybe that's where he got it
1: It may be because uh and basically he was as the character in treasure island he was the basically the cohort of long john silver who was not such a nice character now i like long john silver especially
0: like a two piece of you know fish and chips but i don't <laughs> think that's the long john silvers you're talking about no
1: Uh, No, Treasure Island was written about 1883. So I I think that uh, I know virtually virtually nothing about
0: pirates and uh, um, all that kind of stuff. I've always had a I just don't like the glorification of piracy and of gangsters and drug dealers and, you know, outlaw cops. I'm sorry, Gary. I just don't enjoy the. Glorification of those things. I don't think it's good for society. Anyway, Laura's on the phone. Do you have a uh, Laura? How are you?
2: Good morning. Blessed and highly favored. It's good to be the daughter of a king.
0: Correct. What's up? What do you do? What What's on your mind today, Laura?
2: I was wondering, possibly on the question Gary posed this morning, that we would have forgiveness. When we confess our sins, when we believe Jesus came to die for our sins and we confess those sins based on 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness?
1: Well, actually, there are two answers to that. One is for the person who has never come to Christ. And the second one is the answer for those who have come to Christ scripturally. I was dealing more with the with the what might be termed the alien sinner, who has never known Christ, but comes to Christ. And uh, there are definite scriptures that uh, go with that, uh, that we might look at, if you'd like. Well, um, yes, I want to start back a little
0: bit and, okay. and talk in and the passage. I think that I first thought, Laura, you were going to bring up is in John is Romans chapter 10. Uh, which also is a, it doesn't give the complete answer, but he says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, uh, he talks about the word of faith which we preach. Then in verse 9 he says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So here he removes it from just believing in your heart, which is righteousness, but then with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. And so those two things are linked because he says, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So he's thinking about believing in him and includes confession and includes just the mental belief, but includes more than that. So ironic, people say that we're saved by faith alone when this passage right here says that confession is made unto salvation. They'll they'll say things like you can't do anything, uh, you know, with your body, implying that you can do to be saved. But this verse says you have to confess with your mouth. Well, that's a bodily action. It's not only does doesn't involve just the heart. He even says you have to confess with your mouth. So. It's wrong to say you're saved by faith only. It's incomplete. You're saved by faith, not by faith only. You're not saved by confession only, also, because in Acts 22, 16, he says, Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins.
1: Calling on the name of the Lord. Calling on
0: the name of the Lord. So while you're getting while you're washing away your sins and in so doing, you're calling on his name. But he says, arise, be baptized and wash away thy sins. So there's another passage that now the pa- other passage, though, that you referred to, Laura, let me while we're on that is over uh, for, in First John. Mm-hmm. That's that is the one you mentioned, isn't it? First John, chapter two.
2: Yes, it is.
0: First John 1, 9, yes, sir. 1, 9, I'm thinking a little further down about uh, having an advocate. Yeah, he says, if we confess our sins, well, here he's talking about those of us, I think, who are Christians, about the blood of, uh, blood of Christ cleansing us from all sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we made him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I write to you uh, these things that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. So here is his statement, I think, to people who already are Christians, that they shouldn't be saying they don't sin or haven't sinned because they have. And they should take their sins or confess their sins to Jesus Christ because he is the advocate that we have with the Father. There are so many things I could say about that. But that, I think, was written to people who, who already are Christians who um, should take their – who take their uh, – confess their sins. So confession is a part of being saved. It absolutely is. We have to confess with the mouth. Now the difference is this, Laura, I think, from when you read in the book of Romans about confessing with your mouth, and when you read in uh, the book in Acts chapter eight, the, the eunuch says to Philip when he preached it, he says, I he preached unto him Jesus in Acts eight, about verse thirty-six. He preached to him unto him Jesus. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And he says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So here we have the confession, but the confession that occurs before one is a Christian is a confession, not of one's sins, but a confession of Jesus Christ as the Lord or as Messiah. Now, repentance, which is in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, when the people ask him what should we do to be saved, he said, repent and be, be baptized, baptized for the remission of your sins. There's that remission or the expungement of your sins. So Gary asked, how do you have your sins forgiven? Well, there it is, repent and be baptized. So you have repentance there. That, that would be a confession of sin and a turning away from sin. And then being baptized.
2: Now, Laura, what I
0: would do, what I think should be done about this is when you put those passages together, and we can do this in a more elaborate way, you have a person needs to have needs to believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. They need to uh, repent of their sins, turn away from their old life because Jesus Christ is God's son. They're going to follow him. They're not going to follow their own will anymore. They repent and confess their sins. Then they confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and then they're baptized for the remission of their sins. That's a process. It can occur very very quickly, but it's a process when you add all those things together. And no no one of those things by itself, apparently from the book of Acts anyway and other passages, doesn't save you. Those things together, they bring a person into the right relationship with God.
1: And so um, that's. Yeah, all, all of those things are kind of summed up in 1 Peter 3 uh, 21 and 20, or 20 and 21, parts of 21. It says um, basically, uh, when once in the divine suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight sold, were saved through water, there is also an antitype which now saves us baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of good conscience towards God. So basically it's all kind of summed up in First Peter three twenty one, what right. that is the well, people object to this because of I think
0: either a correct or incorrect understanding of what the Catholic Church has taught for years on baptism, that it's a ritual that's done when someone is a baby that they can't they don't even have any faith themselves and so it's a ritual that you perform and they reject that because they look that's a work of man just you carry out a ritual well this baptism in the bible is not just a ritual it is in essence a connection to the death burial and resurrection of Christ and that's exactly precisely how the book of Romans presents it you know Laura was alluding to Romans chapter 10 there, uh, well, I don't think she quoted that, but I, I I think her words indicated that, that with the mouth confession is made into salvation, but the heart man believes unto righteousness. When you go a little bit earlier in the book of Romans, in chapter 6, same general thing being discussed, and that is uh, salvation. You see Paul here saying, uh, Do you not know, verse 3, Romans 6, verse 3, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were also baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, that is, united with Christ in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his his resurrection now this is not talking about the resurrection from the dead at the in the last day this is something that had already occurred to these romans it was it's a spiritual resurrection that occurs when being raised up out of out of the waters of baptism and that parallels christ dying being buried and then raised up to to glorification so with us we are buried in water and then raised up, and that's why he says, if you a little bit, go a little bit further down in the chapter here, uh, and I just preached on this, uh, uh, I just preached on this, oh, I think two weeks ago, I, I didn't know Gary was going to bring this up today, but I, I just preached on this a couple of weeks weeks ago.
1: Well, I was going to say it, that in uh, in John 3, Jesus answered uh, Nicodemus he said most assuredly I say to you unless one is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. what Paul is talking about in Romans is essentially a rebirth well yes and that's why he puts it this way down
0: and I, I think I have a sermon on our website from a couple weeks ago uh, our website is wearejustchristians.com which is uh, that form of doctrine I think that's the name of the Name of the sermon, not a very great title, but that form of doctrine, because that's the phrase that Paul uses here in Romans six. He says, but God that but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now, this isn't just talking about a pattern of life, particularly this is talking about an, a, a a particular point in life that you were slaves of sin at one point then you obeyed that form of doctrine that he taught them and then you became a servant of righteousness what is that form of doctrine well it's that form that that morphe of of a pattern of death burial and resurrection which is which is the form that baptism takes not a sprinkling but uh but a form of doctrine the text. so in this case uh, i think that's what gary was alluding to yes. in the idea of when is a per-
1: at what point is a person's sins forgiven well acts two thirty eight says you are repent and be baptized for the remission of sins for the remission of sins and in acts you mentioned acts six uh twenty two and sixteen uh, Paul is told, incidentally, after Paul had been praying for three or four days, uh, he is told by Ananias uh, in verse 15, he says, for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard, and now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Basically, he implies this is how we call upon the name of the Lord. We ab- obey what he has commanded us to do. You know, um, and a, a lot of people
0: object and say, well, you're saved by belief. But I don't think a person's sins are removed when they believe belief. that Jesus Christ is God's son. They're not removed at that point. Now, why would that be? Well, the scriptures are pretty clear about this in James chapter two. And and he says, you believe that there is one God you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, o foolish man, that faith without works is dead? By hear it works, he doesn't mean works of righteousness that you make up, traditions of men, but he means works meaning obedience. The demons believe in God. In fact, we have very clear evidence in the Gospels that they believe that Jesus is God's son. They state that clearly. The demons do. But do they obey him? No, they don't. Are they baptized and go through that form of doctrine? The doctrine. They're not. They don't. But they believe and tremble even. So I I know that belief by itself doesn't take away your sins or else the demons would also have their sins removed, which they do not. It takes more than that to remove sins. And so you have to go to the
1: New Testament then and figure this out. Laura, Laura, we've
0: been talking. Well, so uh, what? what One thing and we'll uh, go back. One one thing.
1: So what do we what does God give us upon belief? And basically, I think John one and. Beginning in verse 12, he tells us, he says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Once you believe, now you have the right or the power power to become a child of God by obedience to him. Uh, and, And that's what you do receive upon belief, but you do not receive forgiveness of sins upon that. Right. And we know that from all the other places. Now, Laura, I don't
0: think you wanted to go in that direction, but what do you think? What what's what else do you want to add to this or take away from it? No,
2: that that wasn't bad at all, and a lot of information. Well, that's
0: high, That's really high that's praise, Laura. Well, that wasn't bad. <laughs> go, I'm teasing you. Go ahead. But I mean,
2: even Jesus told them. If you you stay silent about me, then I'm going to be silent to the Father about you. We do display our faith publicly, but hopefully not in an overly defensive way.
0: Right. If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. That's right. Now, that That's a little bit probably different subject than Gary was driving at. But I think that you're right. That's an important uh, critical thing. Now, I think, um, yeah, this is part of my problem from day to day, Laura, is dis- discerning the right way to, as it were, confess Jesus in my daily life among the people that I know. The word confess in Greek homologia, homo meaning the same logos or logia, meaning the same word. So it's to speak the same thing. So a con- if you confess or confessing Christ, it means that your life and words are saying the same thing as Christ's word and life. Or the, or they're saying the same thing as what you believe. So a person would be asked to make a confession they're saying i am this or i did this if they ask you to confess a crime you say yes my my statement about this is the same as the facts of the case here's the facts of the case here's what i here's what i did and so it's the same thing it's a confession so in my daily life as a christian i'm left sometimes with a hard choices of what's the right thing to say or do that would have the greatest or best impact on the people that I'm dealing with with regard to Christ it isn't always getting in their face and preaching a sermon to them or or a, a, over an outright condemnation of what they're saying every time something comes up I don't think that's always the best way to confess your faith in Christ do you or is there sometimes a better way and then sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes sometimes all that's left is say, well, I'm a Christian. This is what I believe. And, you know, go from there.
2: <coughs>
0: what do you think, Laura?
2: Well, I, I think at the bottom of 1 Corinthians 13, the greatest of these is love. And it's just love for humanity like God. That a God be not all the other Four different phases of love and this and that friendship so sometimes that listening
0: ear is really what a lot of people want they need to be yes. heard today right. well they need to they need to feel like Listen. that uh, that someone actually cares about them as a person more so than just to be using them they need to actually think that you actually care about them and then they're often led to care about what you say and that's the that's what's missing a lot of the time in in different attempts at, at evangelism uh for example uh oh, this is a terrible terrible illustration Laura I see a license plate or a bumper sticker that says uh John three sixteen on a bumper sticker or um guy at a baseball game is holding up a sign that says john three sixteen i've I've often been look that takes courage. I am not criticizing that part of it, but I'm not sure that's a very effective form of evangelism or some of the other things that I see that people have as bumper sticker. I'm don't. i not convinced that bumper sticker evangelism is very effective toward the people that you're intending to reach, the unbeliever. It might be effective in the sense it makes an impression upon people who already believe in John 3:16 but I don't think it convinces an unbeliever to change their ways and to love the Lord. I, I don't think that's the way it's done because it, because there's no personal element in there. There's nothing in it that conveys anything that's of any importance to that person. It, it it sometimes creates an antagonism even.
2: They take the time out to look up that scripture based on whatever they're going through. By the time maybe the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't have the opportunity
0: to move in that individual. But I'm saying I don't think that's I don't think that happens. I think that it's it's more like dismissed okay.
2: that because be- that
0: that's all I'm saying. I don't think that happened. the 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 chance of that happening is so minute. I think there's generally a more negative reaction. I think it's now we can argue about what the most effective form of evangelism is, and the truth is I don't know. I've seen things. I've seen people moved by the things I would never predict, and I've seen people converted to Christ that I would never think were a good prospect to be converted. So sometimes after doing this for 50 years, I think I just don't know, because like you say, God's spirit works in the way that he wants it to work. His word has power. So no, there's nothing wrong with putting God's word out there. I think sometimes it's, it, it's generally viewed today unless it's done appropriately as, a, as an affront to people. So, you know, that maybe that's a I I don't know. There's nothing there's nothing bad on the other hand about God's word being everywhere.
1: Every billboard, you know, you you can put it. Well, in in many ways God's so word I, is I, the not, best you, approach to evangelism. I it's, it's hard to say it. it. It it's hard to say it better than what the Holy exactly. Spirit said in the Bible. Yeah, exactly. And, and the problem we have is the Holy Spirit Decided not to put it all in one place in terms of everything. We have to know all the scripture and compare them. Isaiah 28, verses 9 and 10, kind of tells us, I think, how he intends us to learn. He says, In Isaiah 28, verse 9, he says, Whom will he teach knowledge? And whom will he make to understand the message? He sent us a message. We need to understand it. He goes on to say, just those who are who weaned from milk just those drawn from the breast in verse 10 he says for precept must be upon precept and precept upon precept line upon line line upon line here a little there a little now we discussed about a half a dozen different scriptures relative to that which gives us a picture of baptism as being the point at which god forgives our sins. Right. Each of those scriptures has a particular concept, uh, context, context and, and a
0: particular group of people being addressed at a certain state of salvation. Right.
1: They and so in. to understand that form of doctrine, we can't just depend upon one scripture. I guess that's my point, Mike. But people like that. They like that one
0: one scripture. Well, Laura, here, kind of what I was saying it, about Knowing how to talk to people, is Proverbs 25:11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver, like an earring of pure gold, an ornament of fine gold, is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. So here is someone who needs to give a rebuke or a correction to someone. And of course, the greatest rebuke you can give to someone or correction is to, Convince him to become a Christian and leave a life of of, uh, sinfulness. And he says, though, uh, it it takes a wise rebuker to, to speak words that are fitting, and they're like apples of gold in settings of silver. So, in other words, it's not just the word per se that has an effect. Sometimes it's who says it, the circumstance of what's being said, how it's said. And and sometimes it's the wisdom to know how to do it, whether to be direct and blunt or whether to be gentle, to make friends with someone first, to, sh- to gain their confidence and respect. Then you have a chance to teach them. And sometimes it's just knowing this is your only chance that you're going to have. Now take it. And I, and I, I can't say that I know how to do that, but I've tried to do that. And that's why I don't In think bumper sticker Christianity is effective. Hmm?
2: I, I flipped over a Bible that I have, and this is what the now late, great Dr. Charles Stanley said. On the back of this Bible, I didn't realize you sent me this until this morning. The more you learn about the Lord, the richer your experience of him will be. By surrendering to his will and following his principles of obedience, you'll be on a road to great blessing and spiritual reward, namely a life full of God's peace, goodness, and mercy.
0: Yes, and I think the key to that is that surrendering. A lot of us want to take what we already think and what we want and and then make God's word fit that. So if,
2: Overall works in progress. Everybody's gonna go the way they
0: want to go until God knows the right time to bring them in. Well, and, and not everybody's ever going to be brought in. You're correct about that. And sometimes it sometimes you can say the same things to the same people for a long time and then one day it actually makes an effect. Because the person's heart is now right, given God's circumstances He's put in their life for them to change. Other people come to that crosswords. Crossroads, I should say, where they are given the opportunity to change, but do not. You know, Paul spoke to Felix and and uh, Agrippa, and he said, "Well, he said he he said uh, come and see me a more convenient time, and I'll I'll obey." Because he wasn't interested. He, he wasn't interested, in, and and he wasn't interested because his life was immoral at that point. He was sitting next to an, his immoral wife and. And he might have he might have been moved. Paul said, I, I know that you believe. Oh, Grippa, I know that you believe. And he he just shrugged it off because he, he wasn't ready. And there's no historical record that he ever became ready to hear it. So you can have the finest preacher, as it were, and teacher. But if a person doesn't want to hear, their heart is closed. The, so, the soil is no good. That's what Jude, G, uh, Jesus said. The soil is no good. So it doesn't work. And then I've seen other people that that change. I, I've told this story before. I had a fellow that I know. I've still I've still friends of mine, but this was many years ago, 45 years ago, probably 40 some years ago. And he, I knew his wife better than him. He was constantly getting drunk. I, I know why he had just lost a two year old child to a tragic accident. And his life was just a wreck, his heart was a wreck. But he had he had it had exacerbated his drinking and alcoholism and he was constantly getting drunk and his wife had to go drag him home from the bar go find him and he he, he wasn't a violent man, but it's just sad. And so I she called me well again one night, can you come help me find him? And I went down, we got him, brought him home. I set him down and this was against Lord, this was against everything I knew that I should be doing. I'd done all the other stuff I'd done all the talking, and I sat there that night and i I really went after him about what a what a shameful way he was treating his wife, who loved him, his children himself, and how he knew better than this you know and i i said you 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 need to turn to the Lord, you know better, you know you should you need to fix this problem and I just went after him for about thirty forty minutes. And I left. I thought, well, that was ridiculous. I'm not supposed to talk to people like that. And so. um, Well, the next day. He called me up and said, "I, I need to be baptized. I've got to straighten my life out. And, you know, that's been 40 some years, Laura. I don't think he's had a drink since that time. He's completely flipped his life on his head and turned into something very different than he was. But I did all the wrong things. H- how, do, how do you explain that? Um, I don't know how to explain that.
1: What, one of the most troubling things, I think, for both Mike and I is teaching and trying to lay out what's in the Bible, try to make people understand that form of doctrine that we must obey. And God sets that as a criteria. That is That is basically a condition that he makes of us. And if we don't if we don't meet those conditions on judgment day, we're going to have a hard time. But our problem and my problem is you can do everything that you can. And there are people who will not respond. Yes, that's, that's a very difficult thing. I think for both of us, I don't know about Mike, but it is.
0: It's the, it's the whole thing. when you try to teach the gospel, people, people don't respond. You do what you can. And so it's a problem. You have to learn to just, that's part of the Lord's working with people.
1: And um, because it's very plain to me and I believe to Mike that God requires us to believe. And it is a necessary point at which we begin without that belief and faith are exactly the same thing in the Bible. So when it says faith without when it says in in, uh, Hebrews six, without faith, it is impossible to please him. He's saying without, he's essentially saying without belief, it is impossible to please him because you will not obey without belief. Yeah,
0: because belief includes obedience, and if you don't don't believe, you're not going to obey. <coughs> Pardon but, me, by the way, if you're hearing a rooster crowing in the background, I think it's Mike's. That's phone. because you are crow. No, it's not my phone. It's an actual rooster. Oh, <laughs> my, my wife just pulled up outside the door here, outside the window of the of where we're having this, and I'm I'm bringing a nice big fat rooster to a lady at church. And she set him outside in his little cage so he can get some fresh air. And he decided, well, the sun must have come up, so it's time to crow. Anyway, uh, if you're hearing that, then just think of Peter betraying the Lord, and you'll feel a little better. Maybe it'll encourage you not to do that. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, my phone used to be a rooster crowing. And during the the communion one Sunday some years ago, a lady from church called me, and uh, my phone started going off. And anyway... It's but, a mess. Uh, uh, but there's back, always something yeah. going
1: on. It's a live show, so
0: you can't fix that.
1: But going back to the original, he, he the, the set of conditions that we have to meet is basically we have to believe. Uh, he wants us to repent and turn our life around, and we may not know everything at that point that we need to do. He wants us to confess with our mouth or make it clear to those around us. That we believe in him and what we believe, that he was resurrected from the dead and that he is God's son um, via Romans 10 that we looked at. And then he says we must be baptized, which is immersed, not sprinkled or poured. Because that's has in,
0: to fit that form of doctrine. Because you have to that fit that given. form of
1: doctrine. Yeah. And then he, and only he, forgives our sins. And that's that last step is what is identified as calling on the name of the Lord. It's not a sinner's prayer; it's actually an action that we take, demonstrating to Him something that He can see that we will do. Well,
0: the whole process is called is calling on the name of the no. Lord. You're you're descending on Christ to save
1: you. Yeah, it's the calling. So you depend
0: on Christ to save you, and that means asking Him how He wants it, what, what He wants you to do, and then you do what He says. And then you do
1: what He says. It's very simple. And so don't be don't be confused by all of that. And without that, sins are not forgiven. Without that form of doctrine, sins are not forgiven. That's exactly right. Laura, do you want to say any more about
0: this? You have any other comments? She she may be she may be gone because we uh, it's been a while. So uh, thank you for calling. If you're still if you're not there anymore, Laura, thank you for calling. I really appreciate your comments and interest in the show. So thanks so much for calling and we appreciate it. Same thing for Jerry. Well, Gary, this is an important subject. She, she brought up, you know, how do we, how, how do we reach people? And yes. What's the right way to do that? And sometimes I go, <laughs> sometimes I decide, you know what? I've tried every possible way to say these things and it doesn't, make, it doesn't get anywhere. Then I decide to be, you know, a little bolder. And then you, then you get accused of being mean, shoving it down people's throat. Well, you know, nobody, nobody even paid attention when you were trying to be nice about it, as you say. (laughs) And I don't even know what people consider nice anymore. It isn't, it isn't got anything to do with being nice. It's got to do with, they don't want to hear what you're saying. And so therefore that's not nice because they don't want to hear What you're saying they don't don't want to engage you in a discussion of what you're saying they don't want to say well i think it could be this or this no they just want to say well you're mean Uh, uh, and uh, you know christians shouldn't be mean and so since you're mean we're not going to listen to you well that's a convenient way that's convenient you know to say well somebody's mean and go away i've had plenty of discussions with mean people and i don't even worry about them sometimes i'm only worried i'm worried about the people that might be listening to the discussion uh, yes. You know, sometimes you're in a situation where other people are listening to the discussion. You know, you're not going to change the mind of the other person or you have very little reason to think you will. So you speak in a way that would influence the others who are listening. And that's the way preaching the gospel sometimes is. That's the way it has to be. And so, yeah. But on the other hand, as the book of the passage I read in the book of Proverbs indicates that there is a wise way to admonish and to rebuke and to correct people and there's a foolish way to do it sometimes the wise way doesn't work sometimes the foolish ways work you never know but but you know you have to try different things and do different things and and sometimes it is just a matter of what what's on your heart today as it were that you you're going to approach that subject some people need a straightforward Blank talk. I, I, Gary, I tell young women and wives when we when I have chance to teach on this subject, you know, you're dealing with a man. Men are men, and that's that's good. But you cannot hint about what you think or what you want with men. You're much better off always to be as direct and plain as you can be. I know that doesn't seem like your natural feminine thing, and I don't mean by that to be harsh or mean, but you need to be plain about it, because men are not mind readers, and they do not speak in riddles usually. Women speak in riddles and enigmas, and they often are very indirect about everything that they say and do, but men are not. So if you want to communicate with a man, you need to be direct. And so, when I'm teaching, for example, and I'm teaching an individual, especially, and it's a man, I'm going to be far more direct
1: than I will be. Uh, well, what, I would, woman. what I would say, Mike, is in any case, whether it's man or woman, we need to be very careful about our words and very careful about what the words mean. And that is really, really true when we read the Bible. Words have meaning. And. A man looks, I think, like what you're saying, very plain and simple at the words you say. And if you're not careful about the words you say, he doesn't know what you mean. Right. He doesn't know what you're thinking when you say then, those words. Right. And then when you get in, then when, then when you add in all the
0: typical human elements of not wanting to hear what you're saying, perceiving that it is a correction or something, then then and men men's hearts are often deceived and deceitful. Just like female women's hearts are, and so you have all that. You're better off to be direct, and um, in, in any case, I think you have to be direct with women too. You've got to be plain about what it is. You might have to appeal to people in different ways. Now, I still don't, I still haven't given up Gary because I think it's in the Bible. This would, this is an element of faith on my part. I I look at the scriptures; they're written. And they use emotion to get across logical, rational points or propositions. Emotions involved in it and personal things are involved. God puts, it in the, in the, God puts his words in the mouths of people to communicate with other people. And he uses emotions and logic to get to the heart of human beings. So I haven't given up on the idea that we ought to communicate direct propositions of truth. You well, hear a lot today, and this is a we only got a couple minutes left, but of narratives. We need to speak in narratives. What that means is what the press means is, well, the actual events didn't happen, but the narrative is true. you know yes, the, the, the cops really didn't kill a, a black man because he was black, but the narrative is true. So no, I don't believe that that's right. I think we have I still haven't given up but people we should approach people logically rationally with the propositions and ideas of the scriptures. Why because the Bible presents them that way, whether the culture right now can accept that that's a whole different matter. but we need to follow what the Bible says as to how to teach people thy word is truth, not thy theater presentation is truth, not thy drama is truth, thy word is truth, okay? right.
1: And And that's what I mean. And and the words of truth are what we have to say. And those words have meaning. There are two other scriptures I'd like to mention, and we're going to be out of time. Uh, Going back to baptism and what baptism does is 1 Corinthians 6 and 11, he says, talking to the Corinthians, he says there were all kinds of bad people there in Corinth. He says there were murderers, there were basically fornicators, there were adulterers. And he comes in and he says, but you were washed But you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God, indicating that there is change made. And he used that word washed is actually bathed. And it's it's a word that's unique in the Greek. And it means bathing the whole body because there's another Greek word for bathing just part of you and another Greek word for for washing your clothes. Well, there's a Greek word for sprinkling, and there's a Greek word for pouring, and there's one for dipping. Exactly. And he uses the word for dipping or immersing
0: to talk about baptism, right. not the word for sprinkling right.
1: or pouring. And the other one is Ephesians 5 and verse 26, and he says, uh, Husbands, love your wife just as the love wife loved the church and gave himself for her, that we might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Right. Again, the washing of water.
0: Well, Gary, our time is up. Thank you so much for... These thoughts, and thanks for those who called today. We really appreciate it. Take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com is the website, and you'll find lots of resources there. Um, and we invite you to come and be with us during our sur- at our services. We meet at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie at 10 for Bible study, 11 o'clock for our worship and communion this morning. And we'd love to have you uh, uh, even on Wednesday night at 730. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie on WPSL Port St. Lucie.